you guys doing? For those of you who don't know me, my name's Daniel. Uh, Pastor Dosek sent me and my wife to Urbana about three some odd years ago. And so we have been there, and God has been good to us as he has been good to you. But um, I'm thankful that I get to be here tonight with you. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Can we pray together? Father, in Jesus' name, God, we are so thankful for your grace and for your faithfulness. We are so thankful that you are and that you are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Lord, I just ask that you would break the bread of life for us today. Let us sit at your table. Break that bread. Give us a word in season for those that are weary, those that are cast down. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would take a coal from your altar, that you would touch my lips, that what's delivered tonight would be you and not me. Keep me mindful that we are not like they that peddle the word of God, but in sincerity and as from God, in the sight of God, we preach in Christ. Keep me mindful that you're on the front row. My aim is to get an amen from you. Glorify and lift up your son, Jesus. Let the spirit of God move on the face of these waters. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. The Bible, praise God. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. I'm reading from the New King James translation this evening. Matthew 6.25 says, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry. ...about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I want to talk to you tonight about worries work. I know that you don't worry. I know that you're somebody who doesn't have a care in the world... ...and that everybody who knows you knows that you don't struggle with worry. You never have problems with worry. You are worry-free, but I'm preaching to your neighbor tonight. So just stick with me, amen, and give me a few amens as we go... ...because your, your, your neighbor needs to hear this message... Worry is to give way to anxiety or unease. It's to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulties and trouble. I want you to notice that Jesus is not asking us, but he's telling us. This is a commandment from the Lord. Does that make sense? And so what you and I have to keep in mind is, is that there is no commandment that Jesus gives us that does not directly coincide to an attack that the adversary would attempt to bring. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you can stand against the wiles of the devil, right? The word wile means strategic attacks. It means that he has a plan or a purpose. And so every one of God's commandments counteracts a plan or a purpose of the devil. The Bible tells us not to have sex with the person, with anyone except the person that you're married to. Now, if God never said anything else about it, that would be enough because God said. Can I get an amen? We are obedient to God because he is God and there is no other. There is one God and you're not him. Amen. We would be obedient to God even if he gave us nothing else. But the Bible explains to us and shows us that when you are physically intimate with somebody, you are giving yourself over to them. You are joining yourself together with them. And if you keep joining yourself together with people that are not joined together with you, you won't have anything left. That you will keep devaluing yourself to the point that there will be nothing left. Does that make sense? So when Jesus says not to worry, that's a very, there's a very good indication that the adversary's plan and purpose is to get you worried all the time. We're so used and so conditioned to worrying we don't even recognize we do it. 
We get in the car, and as soon as we're in the car, what are we doing? We're worrying about tomorrow. We're worrying about tomorrow and what we're going to do. We're worrying about our kids, our spouse, our job. We're worrying about our finances, our house, how we're going to get this fixed. We're so conditioned that we don't even recognize that we're worrying. You know, one of the only times that you don't really worry when you're asleep, and some of you have been having dreams of worrying in your sleep, amen. But there's times that you come into the presence of the Lord and you're in worship, reckless abandon. All worry goes. All you're thinking about is the Lord. There's times in your prayer closet you begin to pray. The Spirit of God descends. You're fellowshipping with Him and all the worry dissipates. What if that's what Jesus is telling us to live like all the time? Now understand, I'm not telling you that I've arrived. I'm not telling you that I've got someplace. But I am a recovering worrier. I was, a, as a child... I had so much stress and worry. That's just how I coped with things that I had chronic stomach problems. My dad actually had to take me to the doctor and the doctor said there's nothing physically wrong with him but emotionally he's just stressed out. I'm 10. I have no idea what worry is. I'm now married to Lisa. I had no idea at 10 years old what worry and stress was. Now I've been married for almost nine years and I'm starting to learn the half had not yet been told. Amen. Now, the Bible tells us that temptation and sin is always strategic. The adversary will attempt to plant the seed to bring forth the harvest. It's not just a little sin. It's not just watching one movie that you probably ought not to watch or something like that. There's a process that the adversary is working, dulling your senses to God, right? It's not just a couple, well, you know, I don't need to pray today. It'll be okay. It, it's, there's a strategic purpose behind those things. Can I talk to you about worry's work? When I was praying about this and, and studying this out, the Lord spoke to me and he said, Daniel, the worry's work or the work that worry does is to steal the commodity of your attention. That's how he said it. The commodity... ...of your attention, which is weird because most people don't use the word commodity. Now, you can trade in commodities, in stocks, right? There's things in, in, this, in the stock market, Wall Street, you could trade in commodities. And a commodity is a finite or a limited resource, right? There's a, a, oxygen is not a commodity because you don't have to buy and sell it. You can go get it wherever you want. Does that make sense? But a commodity is not just a limited resource. I'm going someplace, hopefully, praise God... That a commodity is not just a finite resource, but it has value because of its relative rarity. You see, um, pyrite, fool's gold, doesn't have any value because it's not rare. You can get it wherever, wherever you want. And then, you, you know, your little child goes around and you pick it up and you put it in your pocket. And then your mom puts your jeans in the washing machine and then you get yelled at and grounded from your Xbox. So what we don't have any value for pyrite because it doesn't have... It, it's not limited enough to have value. Does that make sense? You were born with the gifts and the abilities and the talents that God gave you. You were born in the socioeconomic background and the backdrop that your mom and dad had. And by the grace of God, you'll be able to go farther and do better than them. So not everybody is born with the exact same set of tools. Does that make sense to you? Some people are gifted in music and art. Some people are gifted in, in their intellectual pursuits and all of these things. But other people may have different skills and different abilities. But the one thing that you have in common with everyone on this planet, whether it's Elon Musk or Bill Gates or whether it's your cousin Joe, everyone has 24 hours in a day. Everybody has the same amount of time Everyone has the same amount of hours and minutes and seconds. And what we do with it is important. Because if what God is telling us is true and worry is a serious problem, worry comes to distract you and get your attention off of something else. That when we look at the scripture, any time that, that someone in the scripture begins to worry, they're worrying because the adversary say, whoa, hey, come on over here. Let's pay attention to me over here. You want to be, don't, don't worry about that over there. We don't worry about that. You come over here. You talk to me. Look, this is a problem. You have to deal with it right now. It's got to happen. It's a distraction. It's, uh, it's the rope-a-dope. Muhammad Ali, he would, he would throw one hand up and then he'd knock you out with the other hand. What was he doing? He was distracting you. Worry is strategic. 
When you start dealing with a lot of worry in your life, you start dealing with a lot of concern in your life, chances are there's something that the adversary doesn't want you to pay attention to. Chances are there's something else going on in your life that the Lord himself is getting ready to do on the inside of you, but there's a strategic attack to steal the commodity of your attention. You only have so much attention. You sleep a certain amount of hours, right? Then you go to work and you have to give that the certain amount of attention. There's only so much attention you have and as opposed to spending the rest of your time and your attention worrying, Jesus says in verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added onto you. You're worried, not you, your neighbor, remember, I'm not preaching to you. But your, your neighbor is worried because the adversary doesn't want them to seek first the kingdom. Because if you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be opened. If you ask, it will be given. The adversary can't do anything about that. The only thing that he can do is to get you to stop asking or to start asking the wrong questions. Sometimes when we pray, church, friends, brothers, sisters, sometimes when we pray, we're asking God, what color is seven? He can't answer what color is seven. And we're mad and we're frustrated and we're angry because we're not getting the answers that we want. But if we would seek first the kingdom, all these other things would be added on to us. Worry has come to distract you. See, it's not just by chance, it's not just by accident, but worry has come as the ministry of distraction. Can we go quickly to Matthew 14, 22? just want to read one verse here. Matthew 14, 22. You know this passage. The disciples are in a boat. Jesus tells them to go to the other side. A storm begins to toss the boat to and fro on the waves. Verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side... ...and he sent the multitudes away. Well, I probably should read another one. Verse 30. But when he, Peter, saw the wind was boisterous... ...he was afraid, and beginning to sink... ...he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Seeing comes before sinking. So Peter says, it's a ghost, like everybody else. And Jesus says, it's not a ghost, it's me. See, you and I, when we first started following the Lord, we didn't recognize a lot of the things that God says about himself in his word. We were largely following him because we just had a bad situation, a lot of us, and we needed to get out of that situation. Or we followed him because we felt guilty about the things that we had done in our past life. But as we continue to follow him, the reasons that we left sin might not be the same reasons that we go farther into Christ. We left sin because we're guilty or we left sin because of what God could do for us, but we go deeper in our relationship for beauty and for joy. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price, who one man seeing it, he sells everything that he has, and, and he gives it all away to buy the one beautiful pearl. See, the fact is, is that Jesus is joyful. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so what you and I have to keep in mind is, is that we're a lot like Peter. We might not understand everything about the Lord. That's okay. He knows our weaknesses. So we might have wrong ideas about him. We might say, oh man, you know, what's going on with Jesus? He said, no, no, no. John 13, 7, he says, what I'm doing now you don't understand, but afterward you will no. Amen. So then in, our, in the midst of our searching, the Lord speaks to us and he says, come. And we're like, okay, I can do this. Praise God, I can do this. I, I'm, I'm going to get out. I'm going I'm to jump right out there. You're locked in just like I'm locked in on Randy Mann's back there. I'm just looking at Randy Mann. No matter what, I'm looking at Randy Mann's. If I can just keep my eyes on Randy Mann's, I'm going to get to Kenton. Praise God, I'm going to get there somehow if I keep my eyes on Randy. But all of a sudden, I get distracted. How you doing? So I get this, I was talking to Gary, Lisa, just chill out. Now, 
I get distracted and right in, and I begin to sink. But the seeing came before the sinking. Does that make sense to you? The ministry of distraction in your life is to cause you to sink. But oftentimes we don't recognize it until it's already gone. We're already chest deep in it before we recognize how we got there. ...that slowly our joy started to go... ...it started to wane because we were so concerned about our children... ...so concerned about our finances. There is nothing that you worried about today that God wanted you to worry about. No. There was not one thing that you worried about today or yesterday... ...or that you'll worry about tomorrow that God says... ...yep, that's what you need to worry about. The Bible tells us not to worry, not to, not to just say, oh, well, he didn't really mean that. I need to worry about this. Which of you, by worrying, can add anything? Worrying cannot add. It can only subtract. Now, I heard what you just said. I am not a worrier. I am a planner. Right? I'm not a worrier. I'm a planner. I'm a thinker-thrower. That's what I do. I think it through, and I know you're worrying. Amen. Planning is not worrying, and worrying is not planning. Worrying has this this pull on you. And you just think, I gotta run it again, I gotta run it again. It's like running numbers over and over again until they calculate out. See, Peter, as he saw, and we all know the, the scripture, as he saw Jesus, he walked. But then he saw, he began to worry. Distraction came and he began to sink. Think about where you would be right now. ...if you just kept your eyes fixed and your feet moving. Know that everything that you think that you need to worry about... ...and listen, if there's ever been anyone who understands what it's like to be in over your head... ...I might not be the, the number one in this room, but I'm top five, honey. Trust me. My pastor, our pastor, sent me to Urbana and said, well... ...sink or swim, Jack. We're going to find out. And so what did I do? I had to worry. Because if I didn't worry, who was going to worry? Pastor wasn't worried. Nicole wasn't worried. Regina surely wasn't worried, as long as I got the paperwork in. So, 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 come on, hallelujah. So, what you and I have to keep in mind is I thought, man, if I don't worry, who will? Jesus. Jesus. Casting all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. By me holding my cares, I've stole them out of the hands of the only one that can really do anything about my problem. By me taking my care, taking my worry. You know, the Bible actually calls that pride. 1 Peter chapter 5. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, casting all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. That when you and I, we don't recognize, but the ministry of distraction is at work in every single person. And on the sound of my voice, you know what? We are the most distracted generation this earth has ever known. There are people under the sound of my voice, and I'm not judging you, I love you, but you've checked your phone at least once, if not twice, since this church service started. And I'm not talking about taking notes, I'm talking about you got a text, or you got an email, or you got a Facebook notification, and what happened? You were distracted. I'm not condemning you, but I'm saying, look! There's a reason that we have more at our disposal than we've ever had. But yet we still seem to struggle because the ministry of distraction is causing us to sink. Pastor always told me, don't preach the problem, son. Tell them the problem, preach the solution. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Philippians 4, 4. We'll talk about worries, remedy. So worries work. Sorry, I like to make little things. It's easier for my notes. Worries work is to steal the commodity of your attention. It's the ministry of distraction. That's what it does. It gets your eyes and your focus and your faith off of where it should be and onto something that you can't control. If the adversary can get you to stop opening up the doors that God called you to and keep pushing on a boulder that you will never, ever budge, he has rendered you impotent. See, I can walk through that door. I mean, I'm sure that I probably can. I don't see any reason that I couldn't. And if the Lord wanted me to walk through this door, I could. But if I come over here and I begin to push on this wall, if I begin to put... It reminds me of Jake Martin breaking down the wall in 24-7 one time. And if I keep pushing on the wall... I could have walked out the whole time. But the ministry of distraction 
has you pushing on doors or pushing on boulders and rocks and walls that are not made for you to walk through. Jesus is the door. He's the door. But you and I are distracted. And I need to get in shape because I'm tired from pushing on that wall. <laughs> Philippians 4.4 4. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. I know what you said. You said, I knew that young, that young whippersnapper was preaching out the New King James Bible. That's compromise. No, <laughs> no, it says rejoice in the Lord always, even in my translation. I, I just changed it. See if you're paying attention. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, in case you didn't hear him the first time, he'll say it again. Why? How can you rejoice always? Wait a minute. How can you rejoice when you just got a phone call that changed your life forever? How can you rejoice when you're weeping? Weeping endures for the night. Jesus wept. How can you rejoice? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say it, rejoice. How? How can you rejoice when you thought you'd be farther along by now? You thought that it would have happened by now. You thought the breakthrough would have come by now. You thought that your spouse would be saved by now. You thought your kids would be serving the Lord by now. You thought your house would be paid off by now. You thought situations and circumstances would have come to pass by now. How can you rejoice always? He says it again. Again, I'll say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. What, what does the King James say? You had it up there. Let your moderation be known to all men. That word means brokenness. Let your brokenness be known. Let the fact that even though you're in situations and circumstances, you're too blessed to be stressed. Because no matter what happens, you don't know what tomorrow holds, but you know who holds tomorrow. Oh, come on. No, the Bible says, come on, the Bible says, and all things, not some things, all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. That somehow, some way, even if your brothers throw you into the pit, you're going to be in the throne room. Even somehow, some way, if the situation and the circumstance doesn't seem like it's able to come to pass, you're much too old to have a child. Your wife is past the time of bearing children. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. No word that he has promised will go unfulfilled. He will hasten his word to perform it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. How Paul? Be anxious for nothing. Verse 6. Be careful. Be anxious for nothing. How do you rejoice always? Get the worry out. Worry steals your rejoicing. You can't rejoice and worry at the same time. You can't say, how's it going to work? Hallelujah, Jesus. How's it going to work? Hallelujah, Jesus. How's it going to work? Hallelujah. You, you can't. A double-minded man is unstable in some of his ways. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. See, what happens is, is that you and I, if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap and the snare of thinking that anxiety is normality. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Worry's remedy is not to try to stop thinking the wrong thoughts, but it's starting to think the right ones. Eastern mysticism teaches you to empty out your mind. Meditate and empty out your mind and that's how you achieve whatever it is that they're promising you. That's a bunch of garbage. 
God doesn't tell us to do that. He doesn't say, just, just stop thinking the wrong thoughts. Stop thinking those worrying thoughts. Stop thinking those things that are so worrisome. He says, no, replace those thoughts with the right ones. You don't fight thoughts with emptiness. You fight thoughts with words. Can I get an amen? That you begin to think about the things that the Lord has done. You say, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, that's what I'm thinking about. It's not that I empty out the wrong thoughts. It's I replace them with the right ones. How can I do that? I don't have time to get into everything that I'd probably like to tonight, but I'd like to give you at least a start. Psalm 121 says, I will lift my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. I'll lift my eyes. Peace comes through perspective. That you start seeing things from his perspective, not your perspective. Sheep don't see like the shepherd. See, a shepherd can stand up. He can see things that the sheep can't see. Sheep are down on all four. We're just enjoying the, the, the fatness of the land, the goodness of God. Amen. We're just eating the grass that he, has, that he has led us into. We are drinking those still waters. But the shepherd is ever vigilant. And his rod and his staff, they comfort us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.16 that we don't focus on temporary things but on eternal things. Can we go to Isaiah 26 together? Isaiah 26, 3. One verse. Isaiah 26, 3. Worry is the ministry of distraction, but worry can be overcome. And it should be overcome. And every person of faith that you read about in your scripture overcame worry. They learned the spiritual secret of overcoming worry. That's how Paul and Silas could be locked up after they were beaten with many stripes in the, most inner, in the innermost prison, yet there was a hallelujah in their mouth. There was a song and a praise. There wasn't worry. They weren't worried. Do you understand that? Are you familiar with the story? How well do you think you and I would fare? I, I'm telling you right now, I would be the one with the cup up against the bars saying, oh, help me, woe is me. I'll give you 20 bucks if you let me out, jailer. I don't want to go. I don't have to outrun the police. I just have to outrun you, amen. But the adversary squeezed Paul and Silas and what came out, praise. How about Peter, John? about David, Samuel, Abraham. And you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That word perfect peace is interesting because I looked it up. Do you see it? And you will keep him in perfect peace. That word is shalom, shalom. It's not two different words. It's, it's, it's peace, peace. And you will, oh, come on, hold on, I, I, it's, it's about to get good, I think. The Bible says, and you will keep him in peace, peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Double peace. Peace within a peace. You have to think about it because we just learned that the peace of God will be a guard against any worry that will come. That the peace of God will rule your hearts. The peace of God will stand as a centurion at the gate of your heart. And now you have double peace. You will keep him in peace, peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Double peace, a double portion of God's peace. You are in God's peace and another portion of God's peace. The adversary can't get in when your mind is stayed on him. That word stayed is interesting because it means to lean on or to prop up. That's what that word means, stayed. It means to prop up. So it's the concept of you would take a broom and you would prop it up against the wall. That wall has stayed your broom. What stays your mind? What do you prop your mind up on when you don't want it to fall? Come on. What is it that you prop your mind up on when you don't want it to fall? What is it that you run to? That's why alcohol is not even an option for a Christian. Because we'll run to it. 
We'll run to it to take the edge off. We'll run to it when we've had a hard day at work or a stressful week. What will we do? We will run and we will stay ourselves on that. But no, that will never give you peace, peace. You'll never get a double portion of peace. You'll get nothing but woe and sorrow. But if you have your mind stayed, if you lean and prop your mind up on him, a double portion of peace. Where's the cave that you run to when you need shelter in the storm? The Bible says, Galatians 6.14. This has become one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. Because Paul gives us a secret. One verse. Galatians 6.14, the Bible says this. But God forbid that I should boast in anything. That word glory means boast. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. On my way... Here the, this evening, I was reading a passage of scripture in Colossians. And the Bible says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken them out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, having made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Paul says, God forbid that I should boast in anything save the cross of Jesus Christ, by which I am crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to me. But the word boast is interesting. The word boast doesn't mean just to brag. It means to make a boast. To make a boast... We've all seen it in movies. The king or the general stands before the line. Many of the men that he's speaking to may not come home. Many will be carried off the battlefield by their brethren. Many are going to give their lives, but the king begins to make his boast. He begins to ride on his horse up and down that line, and he begins to speak about how their cause is a righteous one about how they will fight and defend even with their very lives, that their wives and their children will not be overrun. Their cities will not be burned because they will fight and they will win. That there is nothing that can overcome them. That their, their shields are strong, their swords are swift, that they will run like eagles. That they will soar, that they will be those who are unovercomable in the battlefield. Like David said, I've run through a troop and I've leaped over a wall. And the king begins to make his boast. He begins to speak about how it will not go. That, they, that it, will, it will not happen that they will be carried off the field, everyone. Some will not come home, but others will come home rejoicing. Others will come home and get to grow old with their children and their grandchildren and their grandchildren's children. But they will fight and they will win. Paul says, God forbid that I would boast in anything save the cross of Jesus Christ. We just learned that a double portion of peace goes to those whose mind is propped up on the Lord. And Paul says, I go somewhere specific. That when I have to prop up my mind, when I have to think, when worry comes my way, I go someplace specific with my worry. God forbid that I should boast but in the cross. God forbid that I should boast in anything but that which the Lord Jesus himself disarmed all principalities and powers in the cross. That you and I, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness in high places. But those same principalities and powers in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, down through 16, Jesus Christ has disarmed those principalities and powers where? The cross. 
We have got to resist the temptation to, to look at the cross as an elementary doctrine to be mastered and moved away from. The doctrine of the cross is so deep you could never plumb its depths. You could never get to the fullness because it is the cross that makes demons tremble. It is the name of Jesus Christ himself that will make demons flee from you. And it is what will eradicate every ounce of fear, doubt, discontentment and worry out of your heart when you think what kind of king would leave riches in heaven to come and be made low what kind of king would suffer and die for me what kind of king is so mighty that even on the cross he's saving sinners even on the cross he's redeeming people even on the cross people are saying hey would you remember me when you come into your kingdom and the king says no but I'll take you with me what kind of king is this what kind of king is this that he would redeem us through a beautiful cross but a painful cross. Paul says, God forbid that I should boast. You and I worry because we don't think about the cross enough. You and I worry because we don't think enough of the fact that the Lord Jesus knows the end from the beginning and he said it is finished. When he said it was finished, he didn't mean it was finished, but they're going to have to think it out the rest. I finished my part, now it's on to them. No, he says it is Finished. Everything that you have need of, he already provided for you at a place called Calvary. There is nothing that is impossible to those that will believe because the cross has overcome. Jesus has conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. God forbid that you would make your boast in anything save the cross of Jesus Christ by which you are crucified to the world and the world is crucified to you. Paul says, I don't worry. Why? Because of the cross. I'm not, I'm not plagued with anxiety. Why? Because of the cross. Paul didn't say, I'm not worried because I trust in Paul. Paul didn't say, I'm not worried because I got an anointing. Paul says, I'm not worried because Jesus Christ took everything that I needed him to take and more to the cross. That the adversary tried everything that he had. He threw everything he had at the, at, at the Holy One, the Just One, the Son of the Living God. God became killable for you. God became killable for you that you could be whole in him. Why would you worry? Do you forget that he holds your tomorrow in the palm of his hand? Do you forget that the apostles, every time that they had a problem, they ran to Jesus. What will we do now? Paul says, God forbid that I should boast in anything save the cross of Jesus Christ. What stayed Paul's mind? What propped up his mind? The cross. Paul's mind was propped up on the cross. He didn't worry. Why? Because he recognized the victory in the cross. So often we think, well, it's like Noah's Ark. We have Noah's Ark, David and Goliath, and the cross. No, friend. The cross is the place that you and I go to even receive strength now. We go back to the cross. We remember we call back to remembrance. We, we recite over and over again how the Lord Jesus himself said it is finished. That he took... Do you ever... One of the most painful... And I'm, I'm just about done. One of the most painful scriptures I ever read. I may have told you this before. I didn't understand it. I was a young believer. Jesus on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as I read it as a young believer, I thought, man, Jesus got in over his head. He didn't know how bad it was going to be. He got in way over his head, and I could see it right there. And I was distraught. I went to a couple Christian friends. I said, what does this mean? They said, I don't know. Google it. My suggestion is not to Google it. Amen. But uh, so I, I began to ask around, ask more seasoned Christians. And I said, why did Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And nobody seemed to give me the answer. It's not that people didn't know. I just wasn't asking, I guess. I wasn't asking the right way. Maybe they didn't understand what I was saying. One day I was reading that passage of scripture again and the Lord spoke to me. And he called me back to, my, to the remembrance of the fact that that's Psalm 22. He was quoting the scripture, but more importantly, that was the moment that he felt the alienation that you and I deserve. The separation that you and I deserve. The separation where because of what we've done in our past life, even the fact that we might fall short even right now, even as a believer, you know, sometimes you fall short, sometimes you don't meet the expectations, sometimes you have to confess your faults and you have to repent and go to the Lord and He's faithful and just to forgive those who come to Him. But it was in that moment that He took the alienation that you deserve. It was in that moment that He took that separation that you and I deserve, that we deserve the cold shoulder from the Holy God. 
that we deserved a cold shoulder. We deserve God to say, no, not today. You go down the road. You figure it out. You worry it out. You, you run the numbers again. You figure it out. You get four more jobs. You do something. That's what we deserve, but no. The cross says that the Lord Jesus himself took that so that you could have his perfection, his perfect relationship with the Father. That you are now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus because what what we deserve is what he got and what he deserves is what we got. It was in that moment that he took the separation that you deserve so you could have the communion that he gave you. See, Paul's not concerned about worry. Paul's not concerned about money because he's got a promise. Paul's not concerned about relationships because he's got a promise. Paul's not concerned about his future or his calling or his ministry because he's got a promise. But his faith is in the one who went to the cross. I want to read you one passage and then we're going to dismiss. The Bible says in Luke... Chapter 10. Worry's work is to steal the commodity of your attention. Because if you and I will keep our eyes fixed upon him, the love of his cross and the power of his resurrection, who can be against you? If God be for you, who can be against you? If God stands up and he says they're mine, you know that Moses called God a man of war? He says, our God is a man of war. God fights. God doesn't need to fight no wars. He's God. He don't have to fight the devil. The devil's an angel that couldn't even do his job right. But if God's a man of war and he has no battles on his own to fight, whose battles does he fight now? Yours. But what happens is we keep getting in the way. So You know, when the law comes... It's good to just step out of the way and let the officers handle their business. Can I get an amen? Okay, they're they're tired of me already. When when the law comes, there's a mix-up, right? And they come, it's best to just get out of their way and let them handle their business. Our business isn't our business anymore. Our business is his business because you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You don't belong to you. Your business is not your business now. It's his business. It's best to just step right on out of the way. He's not going to get mad at you for saying, you know what, Lord? You handle this problem because, I mean, you know me. I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree anyway. So you know I don't have this. He's not going to get mad at you by saying, you know what? This is what Jesus is going to handle. If you got sin in your life, get it out. You've got sin in your life, and God says, stop doing that. Stop doing that. That, That's not that difficult. It's not that difficult to just say, you know what? As for me and my house, we're just going to go on ahead and serve the Lord. That I have been whipped and beaten by sin long enough, I'm not going back. Its promises are lies. It's all right to just go on ahead and say, you know what, Lord? Will you handle this one? I'm just going to stand over here and just give you all the glory. I'm just going to worship you all the way through this situation. And every time that the thought comes, I'm going to remember, hey, wait a minute, that's not my problem now. You'd be amazed what would happen if you say out loud, not my problem, talk to Jesus. Say, oh, well, that sounds foolish. Really? Moses was supposed to speak to a rock. Jesus looked at the fig tree and answered it. And you're afraid to speak to worry? Mountain, move. Oh, but I gotta, oh, I gotta stir myself up and command it. Really? What if Jesus is gonna handle that mountain? All you have to do is just say, you know what? I don't have this mountain figured out, but I know who does. And then you actually see what the disciples do in the Gospels over and over and over again. Lord, they need food. Lord, they need a miracle. Hey, uh, Lord. Uh, these people could use saved. I've met them. (laughs) They were at my family reunion. They really could use saved. But see, you have to understand is is that Jesus is not double-minded, and if he commanded you not to worry, that means he's commanded you not to worry. That means that anything that you and I worry about, no matter how important it is to us, that's not a call to worry. It's a call to hand it over. If you're carrying your own cares, you can't carry somebody else's. 
The Bible says in Luke 10. See, I said one more scripture and then we're getting out of here. And then I just went off and talked for another five minutes. I blame you. You're just pulling it out of me, you people of faith and power. Luke 10, 38. Now it happened. As they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary. Who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now we would call her lazy. We would call her distracted. Because Martha, she got a house, a dinner party going on. The Lord's here. We got a dinner party going on. We got to make sure the catering's right. The food can't be cold. Or if it's supposed to be cold, it can't be hot, right? Everybody's got to have their, you know, got to make sure there's enough drinks and everything like that. We would call Mary a do-nothing, a good-for-nothing, a lazy person. She's just always trying to get out of work. The Bible says that she sat at Jesus' feet and she heard his word. But Martha was distracted. That word cumbered about. Translated in the New King James, distracted. Martha was distracted. With doing what? With much serving. See, you can do the right thing in the wrong way and it be the wrong thing. Well, I'm serving the Lord. Wait a minute. Are you serving the Lord or are you serving yourself? I know, that was too, that was too hard. Uh, Lisa's going to tune me up for that one afterwards if Pastor Phyllis don't get to me first. Now, but Martha was cumbered about or distracted with much serving and she came to Jesus and said, Lord, dost thou not care about my sister? Hath let me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she come and that she helps me. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about Many things. See, this was Martha's personality. This wasn't a one-time deal. This is how she was about everything. She was not worried just about that dinner party, but she carried worries all the time. And then Jesus says, but one thing is needed. If somebody stood up to you and preached, one thing is needed. You'd say, you, that's a simplistic, half-hearted, simpleton way of looking at the Bible. But Jesus says, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Worry and cares will cause you to turn on your sister. Do you see it? Martha was worried about many things and what happened? She ended up turning on her own blood. Because worry and care will stress you out and you'll hurt the people that you love the most. The people that you love and that you care about, you will be harsh and bitter and angry towards them. Why? Not because of what they did, but because you're carrying stuff that you are not equipped to carry. But one thing is needed and Mary chose that good part. Let 2018 be a year where you sit at Jesus' feet and you hear his word. You let him break the bread of life. You let him fill your cup up to overflowing. Let his words wash over you and make you clean. Let his words empower and strengthen you to run the race and that you on one meal could run 40 days because the Lord cooked that meal for you. We are the most distracted people the world has ever known. But worry is a strategic attack to steal the commodity of your attention because one thing is needed. And how you got saved is you kept your eyes fixed on him. You knew there's nothing in my hand. The old hymn said, nothing in my hands I bring. Only to your cross I cling. I got nothing but you. All I have is the cross. That's all I have. All I can boast in. All I can have comfort in is your cross. That's how every one of us started. Every single person on the sound of my voice started there. But as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Just the same way that you received him, you just keep walking. That you say, hey, I still got the cross. All I have is the cross because every righteous act that you do, it's by his grace. It's by his grace. You're going to build great things for God just like Zechariah chapter 4. You're going to bring that capstone and it's going to come down and your shout will be what? Grace, grace, 
shouts of grace. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's bow our heads tonight. I understand that I'm not our pastor. I get it. But I still believe that Jesus is here to seek and save that which is lost. I still believe that he's walking up and down every aisle and every pew. I still believe that he's come and that you were here on purpose to be called back to a remembrance. That there's one that went to the cross for you. Onto us a child is born and onto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful. I don't know where you've been and I don't know how you got there, but I do know that Jesus saves. I know that he came for you. And I know that no matter what you did this afternoon, this weekend, six months ago, his cross is enough. It's time to come back home. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. This isn't about you making a show. But I do want to know who I'm praying with. He is a wonderful Savior. The beautiful thing about Jesus is you get to follow Him. You get to follow Him. He knows you. And He wants to save you. So if tonight's your night and you say, you know what, I, I, I need what Jesus did on the cross for me. I don't know if you've never received Jesus or if you're just coming back, but if it's you, I, I want to know who I'm joining my faith together with. I want you just to raise your hand up while those heads are bowed, those eyes are closed. I just want to see those hands. Say, I know that the Lord's working on my heart. And I know it's time for me to come home. Okay. Okay. Let's stand to our feet tonight. We're a church, we're a family, so we do things together, right? So let's pray together. Let's say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe that your son died on the cross for my sins. I believe the third day he rose again. He is alive. And I am now alive in him. I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor wanted me to remind you to come here on Sunday. He's going to continue on his series about John the Revelator and he wants you to be a part of what God is doing. Can I bless you and we go? Father, bless them and keep them. Cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift the light of your countenance upon your children and give them peace. Let the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with them all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you and we'll see you here on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Go 